Part four of Beckside Lights by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Leah's Lover, Chapter Three, A New Finger in the Pie. Now the couple, whose sudden appearance round the corner of Shaving Lane had brought Luke and Leah's interview to such an abrupt termination, happened to be Johnty Harrop and his wide awake little wife, whom our readers have met before in these chronicles. Johnty, of course, saw nothing, and was not even aware of Leah's presence in the lane until they actually met her on the way home, when the unsuspecting minder glanced at her and remarked, when she had passed, that Leah was losing her good looks. But Mrs. Johnty had seen, trust her for that, and was so absorbed in what she had observed that she did not seem to hear what her husband was saying. She was amazed. The little scene was a revelation to her. As the next-door neighbour of the barbers, she saw a good deal of them, and being a kind little soul, had got of late somewhat deep into Mrs. Ben's confidence. They had talked over the flag fence of the front garden, and over the low wall at the back, and once or twice of late, Mrs. Ben had dropped hints about being worried about Leah, and Susie, whilst very sympathetic, had felt that her friend's anxiety was oddly out of proportion to any change she could perceive in Leah and the thing, though she had not dwelt much upon it, had puzzled her. Now it was clear as noonday. She only knew Luke by sight, but she was well aware of his reputation, and realised what an inappropriate match it would be, and what scandal would be caused in the village, if it ever came to anything. And with Susie, to think was to act. Her sympathies went out strongly towards Mrs. Ben and her husband, though she was young enough to feel very tenderly towards Leah. She wondered how much Mrs. Ben knew. Had she any idea that her daughter was thus entangled? And especially, did she know to whom Leah had given her heart? Or was she only uneasy about Leah's manner and sickly looks? She must be careful if she tried to help them, lest she did more harm than good, and having not so very long since had secrets of her own, she felt she must be as kind and helpful as possible to such a nice quiet wench as Leah. At any rate, she would keep the secret unless she found she could use it to good purpose, and in the meantime she would get all the information she could. It seemed difficult to do anything with the barbers at present, so she would begin on the easier task of getting to know something definite about Luke. Her unsuspicious husband was of course easily drawn, and before she got home from their little stroll, she had ascertained his view of the case as far as Luke was concerned. Johnty commenced by calling Luke a gallus young wastrel, at which, of course, Susie was not surprised, though she affected to be. On being deftly led out into particulars, however, the minder became very hazy, and after contradicting himself several times, he explained, "'He's nor a greatly bad un than us, nowt of sort.' "'But is that mischievous?' "'What's he do at the shop?' asked Susie. "'He's a mechanic. "'Then he'll make good wages, winnet he?' "'Oh, aye, and he out do. "'He's nob at twenty-one, but he's the best mechanic about the place. "'It's a pity he were turned out of school. "'He'll happen go wrong.' "'Nay, nor him. "'He's plenty of sense, Lucas. "'Only he's so gammy wi' it. "'As for them old jockeys at the clog shop, they don't know everything by a fine sight. But, he went on, suddenly remembering himself, what dost want to know for? But Susie very easily put Johnty off, 
and went to bed to make plans for extending the range of her inquiries. During the next few days she gathered a great deal of information. By assuming tentatively a censorious tone towards Luke and commending the action of the Sunday school authorities, she drew out of her unsuspecting neighbours many interesting particulars. Luke was a wicked if ever there war one, a malakin pace-egging young leap, and so on. Some of the victims of Luke's mischievous pranks used language that ought not to have been employed to a lady, and which of course cannot be written down here. It was clear that Luke was the ringleader of all the mischief and practical joking in the neighbourhood, and a very sad character altogether. When questioned, however, on the more strictly moral aspects of Luke's character, her informant showed considerable hesitation and difference of opinion, and most agreed that the expulsion from the school was an extreme step. Now Mrs. Johnty had more than her share of woman's secret admiration for a young fellow who was lively, and had herself suffered much by misrepresentation. She really could get at nothing very wicked in Luke's character, and so, before long, she had conceived quite a prejudice in his favour, and was beginning to range herself on his side. At last she found herself in conversation with old Mary Jane, with whom Luke had lodged previous to his recent removal to Clough End. She overtook the old woman coming from the mangle, and carried her basket for her. As they approached Susie's house, she invited her in to rest, and to have a soup at day, which invitation Mary Jane promptly accepted. "'You'll have some peace now yondwa good for nowts left, or reckon, Murray Jane,' Susie began, watching her visitor as she did so. "'Peace? What does mean? What talking about?' "'Way, that Luke. He led you a bonny life, or reckon.' Mary Jane's mouth had opened in astonishment and perplexity at Susie's words, but it suddenly closed like a trap, her lips tightened, and pausing with the teacup in one hand and the saucer in the other, she said slowly, "'If them as runs him down and turns him out were off as good, they'd be a fine sight better than they are. "'Eh, Murray Jane, how you talking? "'Where, they all says as a hard-hearted young wastrel.' Hard hurted, Sithy wench, his hurts as soft as a woman's, when all were badly with pains, or seen him stun o'er me and scrike like a child. He's bout me money and money a bottle of Eli's drops. I reckon he paid you eel, said Mrs. Johnty, suspecting a possible mercenary motive for the old woman's praises and regrets. Paid me? Aye, he did that. But I'd a kept him for an out if he'd a stopped. "'You were a fine sight better to me nor me own. "'O can tell thee. "'But what did you leave the village for?' asked Susie. "'Mary Jane paused a moment, "'dropped into a low confidential tone, and proceeded. "'I'll tell thee, wench. "'He near thout thee to turn him out at school. "'And when thee did, he were that tacken to, "'he were fair shormed of hisself. "'He were that ill off about it, he couldn't abide.' It maks me badly to think I looked when he thought I weren't watching him. It's a wonder he's near started a courting. But who'd have him? remarked Susie. Have him? Bless thee. He were never off the doorstep, if they thought he were about. And I don't wonder if they knowed him as well as I do, they'd have been fighting for him. Much more to the same purpose was said and when Mary Jane resumed her journey home with two of Susie's hot tea-cakes in her clothes-basket, 
she left behind her a little woman who was almost as stout a supporter of luke as she was herself still in such a case in which there was so pronounced a difference of opinion in the village it was necessary to be very careful and to get all the light possible and so she decided that she must get acquainted somehow with luke himself and make a personal study of him but how she did not see a way at all at first and it was a day or two before she could decide what to do one evening however when johnty came home from his work he found his little wife in a state of impatience and distress her sewing machine had broken down such implements were comparatively rare at that time and there was no person in beckside or the neighbourhood who could be called in to do repairs hitherto johnty who was a minder had considerable knowledge of machinery had served his wife's purpose and of course as soon as he had had his baggin he had set to work on the broken sewing machine in a few minutes all was apparently right again and susy set to work afresh most provokingly the machine went wrong again and as often as johnty repaired it so often did it break down again after a minute or two's working is there nobody else about as understands sewing machines asked susy at last in a well dissembled tone of despair johnty could think of nobody and laughed when susy suggested nathan the smith is there nobody at the shop as is handy and cliver she asked with a show of great impatience now answered her husband considering slowly as he spoke nobody but luke yates him cried susy with apparently most genuine scorn but presently after suggesting two or three improbable persons she said with a clever simulation of reluctance well i mun have it done choose i bring him to his baggin to-morrow neet he winna hate us i reckon johnny promised to do so next night luke was brought and though shy and awkward at first the beguiling chatter of the minder's wife soon set him at his ease and he laughed and joked and told stories until the disabled machine seemed in danger of being entirely forgotten presently however johnty suggested an examination and luke brought all his mechanical resources to bear on the matter now johnty could not for the life of him see that the young mechanic had done anything to the machine but what he had already done himself but strange to say it worked without the slightest inclination to relapse and the audacious susy actually chafed her husband on his deplorable lack of skill this of course had its effect on luke who stayed on and chatted and still stayed until susy really couldn't send him away without supper and as the meal was a very tasty one and very much to johnty's tooth he ate it and joked about it and then actually went and saw luke part of the way home to clough end without even the glimmer of an idea that his wife had been as he would have termed it bamboozling him susy's mind was now made up she had taken a measure of luke and honestly liked him if possible he should have his rights in popular esteem at any rate the barber should know what he was like my machine's all right now she said to leah's mother over the flag fence the following night ah johnty brought luke yates to it and he put it right in a jiffy ay but he's a clever lad wi his fingers mrs ben gave a slight start and glanced suspiciously at susy whose face at that moment would have disarmed a detective he's clever at o mak a mischief o oh, no that was the sharp answer ay i reckon so 
sighed Mrs. Johnty, in affected sympathy with her neighbour. But you'd ne'er think so. A decent a behave lad, or oh, wouldn't a wish to see in my ass. Mrs. Ben was listening with an almost painful interest, and the crafty Susie continued with studious deliberateness. There's one thing about him. He bores na malice. He speak well of both Jabe and your Ben last night. Them's fine dahlias o' yours, Ellen. Ay, sighed Mrs. Ben, glancing indifferently at the flowers. But this airs is a weary badden. He's no but a bit gallus, full o' gammon such like, replied Susie, tossing her head with careless impatience. Oh, wouldn't he give a bordle for a young felly as hadn't a bit in him? But all mun be goin' in thars. I'm fear he'll turn out badly, replied Mrs. Barber anxiously, and stepping nearer to the fence, as if by that means to detain her neighbour. Well, oh, don't tack him, so there, rejoined Susie with sudden energy. He's good wages, and our Johnty says he'll be the yet mechanic afore long. And our Murray Jane says as he's better to her nor her own. And that's good enough for me. Good night, wench. And with this last heavy shot, Susan retreated indoors with the conviction that she had not entirely laboured in vain. And she was right, for Mrs. Ben, ready to do anything to relieve the tension of anxiety, soon instituted inquiries on her own account, and told all she discovered to her husband, only to find out from a slip in Ben's speech that he had been at the same employment and was well up in all the details of Luke's character and career. As the carpenter sat thinking by the fireside just before retiring to rest one night, Mrs. Ben came and sat opposite to him, and while darning away at a heap of stockings, began to collect her thoughts, with a view of coming to some understanding, if possible. "'Ben, dost think our lears getteneth decline?' she said, looking up at him anxiously. Ben winced, for this was the very question that he was trying to settle for himself at the moment his wife spoke. But now he belied his own apprehensions by answering shortly, "'Now, who will be afore long if things doesn't oughter?' And there was a moan in Mrs. Ben's usually cheery tones. But Ben saw no way out of the difficulty, so he sat in silence and stared sadly before him. They sat in the candlelight for a long time without speaking, and then Ben said, "'If who has him, we'st lose her, and if who doesn't have him, we'st lose her. Eh, dear, my hurt's welly broken.' The mother began to sob quietly, and Ben looked at her with a strong inclination to do the same. The difficulty to them was very real. They could have brought themselves, and in fact had brought themselves, to accept Luke as a member of their own family. But when all personal likes and dislikes had been got over, there remained still the religious aspect of the case. The command was to them clear and unalterable, that neither they nor theirs were to be unequally joked together with unbelievers. How could they fly in the face of a plain divine precept, and how could they expect to prosper if they did? They could retire from the case, of course, and leave Leah to bear the onus of it herself, but that would be exposing her to a great temptation and laying upon her a grave responsibility. As it was, they did share her burden, and were resolved to do so to the end. Ben, indeed, thought desperately more than once of breaking away from all religious scruples and commanding his daughter to marry Luke, thus taking the whole responsibility on himself, and saving Leah's soul at the expense of his own. 
but this mood passed also and after another long silence mrs ben said young wenches allus feels as they wanton to do what they towed they munna do it's happen o thatons we are here when who knows who can please herself who'll happen no be so keen on it ellen replied ben thou knows our leah better tin that if oo geet wed and lost a sore oo should feel as if oo'd scrambled into heaven o'er a destruction that can please thysel but mind thee if out comes on it oo want th blame to fall on us and nor on her and so the conversation ended but next day as leah seemed rather paler than usual her mother resolved that she should know their minds on the subject whatever the consequences but humble people have often to resort to strange awkward ways of expressing themselves when the matter is one on which they feel deeply and so as she was sending leah out on a few errands she said and caught jabes and see if our simeon's clugs is done and for goodness sake wench dunna look so mitch like a lump of stone thou maks me fair miserable if thou wants luke tak him and i done wi it and before the startled girl could answer she had pushed her out of the door into the front garden that she might not see her mother's painful breakdown now this was perhaps the most important communication that ellen barber had ever made to her daughter and it may seem that she did it in a very clumsy way but it was her way awkward and bungling it may have been but its awkwardness was the measure of its eloquence and to leah it spoke of a great effort and a great sacrifice which were the expressions of a wonderful love leah was profoundly moved and had to linger in the garden with her head down among the flowers for some time before she dared to go forth on her business she put a severe restraint upon herself as she went about the village and it was quite necessary for rumours that she was in decline had been commonly circulated and gave her acquaintances a painful sort of interest in looking at her when her errands were done and she was approaching home she turned in at the end of shaving lane nearly opposite her father's workshop and in a few minutes was standing near the autumn-tinted hedge on the very spot where she had had her last interview with luke with her back to the lane and her face looking up the clough she gave full play to her thoughts the law as to marriage with unbelievers which according to beckside canons of interpretation meant all non-church members was clear and uncompromising and the more she thought of it the clearer and more inexorable it became and never in the whole of the terrible struggle through which she was now passing did she allow that to be obscured for so much as a moment that by accepting luke she would be breaking this law was distinctly recognised on the other hand her heart was as full as ever of a deep and quenchless love for luke how it came there she could not imagine it had been a constant amazement to herself and more than once she had tried to convince herself that it was providence then she realised that the thought was a snare of the devil and resolutely repressed it and cast it out of her heart for some time after their last interview she did not admit to herself even the possibility of renewing the intercourse her remembrance of how soon she might have yielded to the impassioned luke frightened her but she had scarcely seen luke since that last struggle oh where was he and then she was startled to discover that the suggestion that he did not care a great deal for her gave her much strange pain and then though she had not seen much of her lover she had heard and what she had heard deepened her distress 
she could not forget the rumour about luke beginning to drink and she recalled with fresh pain the remembrance that when she charged him with it he had not denied it more recently she had been told that there had been an atheist lecturer at clough end and that conspicuous amongst the little handful who went to hear him was luke he had several times in pleading with her threatened to run the country and only yesterday she had heard that he was preparing to emigrate to america what if she had driven him to this and what if he went away from beckside and got amongst wild lawless people at the ends of the earth oh if only they had never turned him out of the school surely with all his associations and attachments to the chapel and chapel folk it might not have been difficult to draw him in but she knew by this time that luke under all his frolicsomeness had a proud heart and a strong masterful will and that he would probably never come back to the chapel unless she took him she was perfectly certain he had a good heart and good principles as far as mere morality went though morality apart from grace was of little account in beckside theology in fact it was generally regarded as a dangerous form of worldly pride and hypocrisy by this time her agitation became so uncontrollable that she feared to be suddenly discovered by a passer-by and so yielding to her own restlessness she crossed the plank bridge and walked slowly up the field walk to lambfold there she turned back and as the body turned the mind did the same and she went once more over all the arguments for and against accepting luke as she returned to the place she had left half an hour before she began to recall stories of female self-sacrifice of which she had read in the books of the sunday school library but could not remember a case in the least like her own once more luke's spiritual condition came before her and the terrible risk of sending him adrift on the world in his present reckless and unregenerate mood then the thought of self-sacrifice for a beloved one the sweetest thought that ever touches the deep heart of woman came once more into her mind and seemed sweeter and more beautiful than ever and at last leaning heavily against the stone gatepost near her and dropping her head on the crossbar of the gate she cried is it my soul for his lord then let it be his if thou let me bring him safe to heaven thou can shut the door again me if 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 thou can and then the passion subsided a calm almost more terrifying to leah than her former agitation took possession of her and she went home convinced that she was going to commit the unpardonable sin but that she was going to save luke two days later she had consented to marry him end of part four